0: Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Well, it's been a busy few weeks since our last episode aired, and today I've brought in a number of pilots to talk about that, and we're recording this Thursday morning, November 18th. Most of the folks here today you're used to hearing. We've got MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, MEC Vice Chairman Joe Youngerman, Strategic Planning Committee Chairman Ronan O'Donohue. And today we're bringing in a new voice to the podcast, Drew Coyle. Many of you know him as one of the Seattle block reps, but he has also been working as the Strategic Planning Committee Vice Chairman. Drew, welcome.
1: Absolutely, David. Thanks so much for, for having me on today.
0: Yeah, good to have you. So Will, bring us up to speed. What's been going on lately? Well, yeah, thanks,
2: David. Actually, a lot has been going on. I'm sure, as most of the pilots know, we've just returned from a four-day meeting, MEC meeting in Washington, D.C., and in advance of that meeting, actually, we, uh, we sent down uh, Ronan and uh, Drew to partake in a lot of interaction and in um, conversations with some of the other airlines regarding their negotiating strategies and what they're seeing on the landscape ahead. But uh, as far as returning to our specific MEC meeting, the decision was made to meet at national headquarters so that we'd have Alpa-Key staff available during that week, so that as we discuss contract negotiations, our communication strategies, and some of the challenges that we've seen with the COVID vaccine mandates, um, we were able to have staff such as uh, ALPA senior managing attorney, Marcus Megliori and ALPA first vice president, Bob Fox, as well as all the communications experts that are, are critical to this effort on hand to answer questions and to hear our input. We had the opportunity to consider the results of that latest polling data. Which uh, was was very encouraging. I guess we'll get into that in a little bit, and then uh, receive an in-depth brief from um, again, as I said, the communication staff on how the campaign's going, and more importantly, what's on the horizon as we move forward into the new year. The reps, once they had received a number of these briefings, had the opportunity to provide input and direction to the negotiating committee, which was critical. Overarchingly, this meeting was hugely important to solidify our our plans and our goals moving into twenty twenty two.
0: Ronan, will you brief us on that national SPSC meeting that that we attended? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, we went
3: down three days early from the MEC meeting um, prior to it uh, to go down to a a national strategic planning and strike committee meeting and preparation. Basically, what we went down there for is to uh, continue to network with other airlines and other carriers. And um, actually, they were all quite supportive of what we've got going on here and wanting to help and pretty much do anything that they we asked them to do. So it was actually a really, really helpful um, three-day session that we had with those guys, which we had then brought into the MEC and briefed the MEC on what we'd actually accomplished there and the networks that we had set up there. So it was it was very worthwhile.
2: And I think it's worthy of noting too that that outreach continued um, actually this week, Ronan. You know, when um, Drew and I had the opportunity to go down and meet with the entire Delta MEC in session and have continued those conversations, brief them on what's happening here at Alaska and the challenges that we face both in negotiations and uh, how we're addressing them, and then uh, exchange ideas. I mean, it's just you can't talk to other airlines enough as we move forward in this campaign.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right, Will and. One of the things that was really evident to myself, Drew and David, all three of us were intendants, plus a couple of other committee members. But one of the things that was very evident was the concern and the support that we have from the other carriers in achieving our contract goals here. Um, it's very well known in the industry that uh, we have scope that's lacking and we, we need to get that straightened out. So they were very supportive
4: and um, offered, as I said, any way at all they could help. They, they, they promised assets to us. Yeah, and those are the same sentiments that I hear in executive council as well. I think everyone recognizes the uh, unreasonableness of our carrier wanting to deny us job protections that are prevalent across the industry.
2: You know, that said, I kind of want to offer that perspective because we often hear from our management team that scope is some type of a, a national agenda. And I couldn't be more clear, obviously, coming out of that polling data that we've seen, that it is a ratification threshold. It is not just a priority of our pilots. It is an absolute need of our
0: pilots in this next collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, that's been really clear, certainly in the last poll and consistent over the multiple polls we've done over the last couple of years. That has not wavered. It hasn't. In fact, it's, it's just gotten stronger. Exactly. And we'll get into it here in a
2: little bit, but we've just continued to see moves by the company that don't instill a lot of confidence when it comes to their narrative that we don't need durable scope language, right? Right.
0: So another thing that we learned about and briefed while we were out at National, both at the SPSC National Conference and at the MEC meeting, was the results of the campaign that we launched a few weeks ago. I'm sure many of you are aware of that. It's roughly called the Do the Right Thing campaign. And we have placed ads in newsprint up and down the West Coast to have Facebook and Instagram ads, Twitter that targeted the media outlets, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, and other advertising all, all over social media. It's really interesting to have the opportunity to talk to the other pilot groups out there and see their interest in the campaign that we were doing. It, it was very exciting, and Ronan and I were able to brief them all on that. They, there was a lot of interest, and it, it has been quite effective. The numbers are very high. and. I think what was really impressive to me talking to the media folks that do this all the time was the engagement that we're having. The, the metrics are two and three times higher than what you would normally expect in an advertising campaign, meaning people are interested in what we're saying. They're engaged with it. They are spending a, a lot of time on our ads and on the website, much more so than often happen on campaigns of this nature and there's a lot of interacting on the the comments that's another thing that was interesting for me to hear was that you know you usually in the comment section on things like this you you get a lot of really negative comments trolling but in our case there were lots of comments about how much the general public supported the pilots and how the company should do the right thing etc there was a cross-pollination if you will people were on, say, a, a Twitter feed mentioning that they had watched this video somewhere else or that they had seen the ad and they were mentioning it. So it's, it's been really, really effective. It's hitting all of the, the marks that we were hoping it would.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, David. And what we're, what we're seeing is that the plan that we have pretty much been working on for the last year is um, working, and it's working actually very well. We had an opportunity to have several staff members, again, you know, the the reason why we went down to DC, but we had the opportunity to have several staff members come in and brief us on um, several experts in these fields, social media and just general media. So it was, it was really, really helpful to have the body briefed by these folks. And we, you know, learned about the outreach and where it's, where it's, um, you know, how it's performed up to this point. And then we also discussed at length uh, tactics ahead. Um, there's certainly more to come. And I would just ask the pilots, just uh, bear with us. January, you'll see some more stuff getting unveiled and uh, some different tactics. And in the meantime, you know, there's plenty that can be done by the pilot group. You know, just we encourage you to continue discussions with your family, your friends, your neighbors, uh, share the content and share why we're here. It's quite eye opening as we've discovered to a lot of folks. When they realize the current struggles that we're going through as a pilot group. There's also, you know, we're going to actually, Drew, do you you want to take that portion here about uh, talking about continued outreach?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ronan. You know, as you talked about, we do have a lot of things that uh, are going to be coming up in January. For the time being, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on where we're at right now, um, the campaign and, and where it is. And a big part of that is ensuring that our pilots know and understand uh, where we're at in the process. And we've got a couple of events next week planned for the Seattle airport. So we'll be up with the negotiating committee, the elected officers, uh, we'll have coffee for our membership in the end concourse out at SeaTac. Just please encourage everybody to take a look at your alpha email. Full details will be arriving this week, but please do come out. If you're coming through the airport Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, please stop by and, and let us know your thoughts. But there's a lot more, too, than just the pilot outreach. We know that families are are really interested in what's going on, too. So our Family Outreach Committee is busy planning more events towards the end of this year and early next year. So those are all things that that I ask everybody to pay attention to as as they're coming up. So in addition to the family and, and pilot outreach that we're doing as well, we're going to continue our public education of where we stand with our mission to achieve an industry standard contract. So we'll be back out in the airport next week uh, as well in two different locations at SeaTac and the Portland Airport, conducting informational leafleting.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right, Drew. That's that's some great point that you brought out about the upcoming outreach events. It also it gives me what what pops into my head is the I also want to brief too that we are expanding our committee. We recently added Captain Crystal Near to uh, the SPSC committee, and I'm going to be looking forward to working with him going forward. But the point that I was really wanting to drive home here is, yet again, it's so important that people um, step forward, volunteer, because there's a very, very heavy lift coming up here. And, you know, there's always that question of there's never enough volunteers and how do volunteers get involved? I know that's something that's near and dear to you, Drew.
1: Absolutely. Um, we've had a lot of feedback, too, and my role as a rep, and, and all of our reps have talked about it. They They continually hear from pilots that they're looking for opportunities and ways to get involved. Um, reach back out to your rep, give them your contact information and tell them to pass it on to us. And as more and more of these opportunities become available, we'll be reaching out to you and calling on you to step up and help us with all of these activities we have planned.
0: On that note, I'll say one of the ways that everyone can help is with the social media. I know it seems like a small thing, but every single one of you becomes a force multiplier when you um, like and share our posts. And the other thing that you can do is uh, get your family involved too. Um, They can be a force multiplier as well. And I had a conversation with my son just yesterday. He's a senior in high school and he said, hey dad, I was um, at school wearing a jacket that has the Alaska brand on it. And one of the faculty members said, oh, does one of your parents work for Alaska? And, And he said that they did. And then of course it went into that normal thing that we're all used to hearing. Oh, I love Alaska Airlines, they're the best. I always try to fly with them, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, so what did you say to him? And I said, well, I just, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, look, here's what you say. Right. It is a great company, but right now things aren't great between the pilots and the company and they're working to improve that. And if they ask more about that, which they probably will, because they're not going to be used to hearing that, sit, tell them to go to the website. And we made it easy to remember. It's alaskapilots.org. So Um, I'd encourage you to tell your family that too, just so they have a little bit of something they can say when those conversations come up. And I know they do over and over again, if you live pretty much anywhere along the West Coast. So Will, before we move on, is there anything else from that MEC meeting you'd like to make sure people are aware of? Yeah, I think we do want to emphasize that it was a very productive
2: meeting with the reps being able to look very carefully at the landscape with the ENFA briefings, as well as especially the polling briefing that just really did confirm that we remained focused on POTS priorities and goals. The reps did have very productive discussions and were able to provide that negotiating committee with uh, direction as we do prepare for mediation. And that said, I think we should probably mention that that first meeting with the mediators slated for December 14th And we'll focus largely um, on setting dates, administrative issues, and
0: providing the mediator with some background. Thank you, Will. So there's a number of issues that we've been hearing about from the pilots, and I want to turn to those now. And obviously, not the least of which is the recent announcement about Horizon opening a crew base in Anchorage.
2: Yeah, we've, we've certainly gotten the feedback on that, haven't we? Right. Uh, obviously, it validates the pilot's concerns about job security. I mean, the company has always historically characterized scope as unnecessary, right, for as long as either of us have been there. Yep. They call it rhetoric and whatnot that, it, you know, when we say that we need it, it's, it's not rhetoric, right? Unfortunately, this is a predictable outcome as our concerns about the Alaska Air Group outsourcing your work to another company continue. The developments underscore the need for industry-standard scope protections in our contract. You know, and the company catchphrases such as "the amount of flying done by Alaska's mainline Anchorage base is expected to remain at or above current levels." You know, that's no substitute for durable contract language. And you know, likewise, um, company referencing seasonal all-nighter and non-daily service is not going to bring any solace to the, the pilots up in Anchorage who've spent their careers flying in very, very challenging conditions in in service to this company. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's bigger than a simple base.
4: Yeah, it, it is bigger than a simple base. And, you know, I think regional aircraft are, are part of the Alaska Air Group way of doing business. Their regional aircraft are part of the way of doing business for a number of carriers throughout the industry. The concern is not just that they want to have a, a horizon base in Anchorage, but there are no limitations on in the future what they do with that base. If they find expedient to replace mainline aircraft and replace mainline pilots, the picture there might change dramatically. I my own experience years ago with with Midwest, and you know I bring this up because I, I think it's a very cautionary tale. Midwest owned its own regional. They did for years. And uh, then they brought a outside carrier in to do some regional flying and didn't seem like a big problem at the time. But when you had the uh, financial meltdown in in 2008 and suddenly it became expedient to replace Midwest aircraft and Midwest pilots with Republic airplanes, uh, Airlines airplanes and pilots, they did it. And we got put on the street because we didn't have any language in place to prevent that from happening. And so, you know, as I've said again and again, you don't need scope until you do. You don't need fire insurance until you do. And if the company isn't planning on doing anything nefarious or doesn't plan on replacing pilots and planes with regional aircraft, then why not put it in writing? The answer to that is, of course, they want the option to be able to do that. And just because things look okay now and acceptable now doesn't mean that there won't be some macroeconomic issue that uh, leads them to the decision that it would be expedient to replace us, replace our airplanes with a smaller uh, smaller aircraft and, and cheaper pilots. and And I think this is this is why virtually every other carrier has scope language to prevent that sort of thing from happening. And that does not limit their ability to grow and be successful, but it does limit it, their ability to at any time on any whim decide to replace mainline aircraft and mainline pilots.
2: Yeah, and I think that the the narrative that they're right-sizing for the market certainly rings hollow to the pilots. You know, the, and as does, I think, I'm going to jump on your point there about that are, anything that we're proposing in scope is somehow restrictive to the airline's ability to grow. And we're not interested in inhibiting growth but we are interested in ensuring that more mainline flying is added anytime that we see an expansion of regional flying or code share agreements that are entered into etc we just we want to work for the company that is so often described in management communications but we want to participate in that growth meaningful growth because there's a big difference in growth that is espoused in a lot of their communications and growth that is meaningful to pilots right
4: well yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, I, I think the industry has been a you know, when you take COVID out of the picture, you know, we were we were twelve years into a ten year cycle in the industry, but typically the industry goes for about a decade between downturns and and as you say, Will we want to we want to participate in the growth and that's important and typically scope provisions do not impede growth that's very obvious you can look across the industry and see that but where the real threat is where the real concern is in my opinion is is on the downtimes and we know they come they, you know we we got through covid we're getting through covid but that that's just the latest challenge there'll be more and you know a lot of the younger guys haven't haven't seen them, but there'll be more challenges to come. And, uh, you know, when the challenge arrives, that's not the time to make sure your job's protected. You've got to do it ahead of time.
0: That's absolutely right. And even the notion of growth is a bit of a misnomer because there's lots of ways that the company can grow in ways that aren't meaningful to the pilot group. And that's another thing that needs to be protected.
4: Absolutely. If most of the growth is occurring on the regional side, that's fewer jobs on the mainline side, fewer upgrades, fewer people getting off reserve, less money going into your 401k potentially when, you, when, you, uh, when your upgrade gets slowed down or you linger on reserve for an extended period of time. All of this matters. All of this has a trickle down effect uh, across the uh, seniority list. Well, not only across the seniority list,
3: Joe, but across the company. Every work group Correct. needs this. Correct. Every single, like every flat attendant, every dispatcher, every CSA, every mechanic. We talked about this on the last podcast, but it's critical. That's right. You know, scope protects jobs. It doesn't protect pilots. It protects all of us. And it needs that's to right. be there. And again, it's just worth reiterating one more time. We're not asking for anything here that's out of the norm. We're just asking for what everybody else has and just some job protection. That's it.
4: That's right. You know, flight attendants, uh, when when Midwest replaced airplanes and pilots, they also replaced flight attendants. They also replaced mechanics. Uh, it was, you know, it was felt across the company. It's not just a pilot work group issue. I think everybody should be concerned.
0: I think another point that's worth making is when we talk about this in terms of industry standard or industry norms, one of the things that is meant by that is that these are provisions that other airline managements have agreed made sense that they thought their pilots and their other work groups were valuable enough that they should agree to it and that they could maintain their business model with those scope provisions in place. Let me add
3: a point. It's not unusual for executives and for top level management to protect themselves with their jobs with what's known as golden parachutes or what's known as just a a, any sort of agreement that protects them in merger or acquisition or just from them being actually replaced. And they set up a lot of these golden parachutes themselves. And if it's good enough for them,
4: frankly, why is it not good enough for us? Well, and that that kind of illustrates my point as well. You know, there, there may not be any discussion of M&A at this point with respect to airlines, but they're putting... They're putting things in place now, right? They're putting provisions in place now to protect themselves in the event that that could happen. Scope is no different. We're putting pr- protections in place now so that in the event there is a downturn in the industry or you name it, that we're protected. I think it's it really smacks of arrogance to take care of yourself but to tell others that they have no right to do the same.
2: And I think we're kind of talking around this, but most of the pilot group is probably not aware that on November 2nd in an SEC filing that our management team did in fact put into place golden parachute agreements to protect themselves should they need them. And if they need that type of protection, then why does this pilot group not
0: need that similar type of protection? And Will, I'd like to read the text of that document because It's one thing to talk about this in the abstract, but I was really struck when I read the actual language. So, quote, The board believes that it is imperative to diminish the inevitable distraction of the executive by virtue of the personal uncertainties and risks created by a pending or threatened change of control, and to encourage the executive's full attention and dedication to air group currently and in the event of any threatened or ending change of control and to provide the executive with compensation and benefit arrangements upon a change of control that ensure that the compensation and benefit expectations of the executives will be satisfied are competitive with those of other corporations, Unquote. Anyway, I just thought it was effective and impactful to hear the actual language. So let's move on to some other questions that the pilots are having and one is the frustration with the reserve pilots and specifically how hard they're being utilized and that the spike in reassignments has been very frustrating to pilots.
2: Yeah, David, we get a, a report, you know, that's guaranteed to us by the the contract that clearly shows kind of how the flying is is happening in terms of the amount of premium pay trips, the amount of reassignments that are done, and you know, it gives us a good pulse on how hard the pilots are working. And trust me, pilot feedback has also clearly illustrated that it is not a lot of fun right now to fly the line when the pilots are, are being forced to do 10 pounds of flying when it should be a lot closer to 5 pounds. And when you speak to that issue of how our reserve pilots get, get utilized and that utilization rate, that's been a concern that we've had for years, Central Air Safety has been collecting data and, and beating that drum for years that our reserve utilization is painful. A reserve flying an 85-hour line is way different than a line holder flying an 85-hour line. And the issue has also been raised by the officers using data that the Central Air Safety uh, crew put together, you know, backed up not just by the actual metrics, but ASAP data and fatigue report data. And we brought those to Chief Operating Officer Constant von Mullen's attention. It's um, also an issue, more specifically, that your scheduling committees approached John Ladner about, the VP of Flight Ops, John Ladner, with concrete proposals that were presented to mitigate fatigue on reserves. And we are still awaiting the response to that initial meeting. The issue is very, very preventable, I think. You know, the MEC has constantly warned, back when we saw the pandemic uh, easing and we saw brightening on the horizon, that the time to grow was then. The time to grow was early, to have adequate staffing in place by the end of the year so that the company would be in a much better position to navigate the, the last two months of, of the year. And, you know, as we've said a few times on these podcasts, they chose a series of very small, pragmatic bids and actually abandoned a larger system bid that would have restored the imbalance uh, created when a number of our pilots, the 137 pilots, took the, uh, the early out option and retired. We could have been in a much better position, but in favor of costs, they elected not to do so. And that has more than anything to do with why we find ourselves, again, using the analogy of trying to do 10 pounds of flying with five pounds of reserves.
0: Yeah. And if I'm hearing you right, we have been warning the company that this may be approaching and and you've done it through the safety committee, through the meetings with Constance, with the officers. And I mean, how long ago were some of those meetings?
2: years ago by central air safety but more recently i think we're about at the four-month mark when we sat down with constance to articulate these concerns and uh, again with concrete proposals that we thought would help mitigate them and then more recently the uh, the meeting between the scheduling committee members and john ladner that's about it at the two-month mark but we've been awaiting a response now for for weeks and these are simple tweaks these these are not anything that requires a heavy lift but I think would go a long ways towards uh,
0: mitigating some of the stress that we know the pilots are feeling. Well, another question that comes up a lot, a question related to the company's assertion that mediation is a means to move the process forward. And, and especially with the uh, sort of subtle note that it's an, a way to expedite the process, or, or at least to get it, get it moving faster than it's been going. Is that really an accurate description of the process that that we're in now, Will? No, I wouldn't characterize it as as that way. I think the important point
2: is that the company uh, has had and still has the opportunity to engage us directly if they want to reach you know, an agreement in an expeditious manner. And so characterizing mediation as being some type of a magic bullet, well, the the path has always been there and it still remains to be there. As we noted earlier, you know, December 14th, we'll have that first meeting with our NMB assigned mediator, Mike Tosi, and it's just kind of an introductory meeting. But more to your point, mediation isn't a magic wand, you know, for it to be effective, the company has to come ready to accept proposals that adequately address longstanding pilot concerns. You know, and as said, we're we're ready to move a contract forward that meets your expectations in mediation or outside of mediation. And characterizing mediation as the only path forward is just patently false.
4: Yeah, I I, I think it's about will, and I don't mean our chairman. I the, the will to get something done. You know, when we look at twenty twenty and the challenges that we faced not only the pilot group at the airline as well. And we sat down and hammered out really great solutions that were a win both for the pilot group and for the company in a pretty short amount of time, because there was a will on both sides to, to, to reach an agreement to solve problems. And that's what really negotiations is, a lot of it is about, is about solving problems. And so to suggest that, you know, we have to go and get outside mediation to solve this problem, and that's the only path, and that's what's going to move things quickly, uh, ignores the fact that the company lacks the will to really, to to solve problems. They've demonstrated that at the table. They're, they're not interested in pilot problems. These are the same problems that have been articulated for years. And there's been really no movement on their part to to bring solutions, acceptable solutions to the table. They just basically tell us you whether they're non-negotiable or we're being unreasonable or what have you, but we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. This shouldn't be this hard. Keep in mind that we went out and requested a private mediator because we thought that might be useful. And it didn't speed the process. It didn't do anything for us because the company still came to the table Standing on their ideology, standing on their principles that this pilot group doesn't deserve the basic job protections that exist across the industry, that this pilot group doesn't deserve the kind of workplace flexibility that virtually all other properties enjoy. They came to the table with the attitude that we don't deserve any of that, and a private mediator wasn't able to to solve that. But now, all of a sudden, we're we're to believe that suddenly this process is going to move along quickly. The requirement is still there for the company to come to the table with realistic, effective proposals to address pilot concerns. And so far, they haven't done that.
2: I think it speaks more to their desire to try their tried and true strategy that I think David would say we've seen time and time again to go out and get out in front of the pilots and try to explain why we should just feel incredibly lucky to work for a successful company and that somehow accepting a discount to our peers for that privilege of working for a, a successful company somehow resonates you know it's the same thing like we just talked about kind of the the growth narrative that they think that again alpa somehow is not speaking the will of the pilots or that this is some type of a an agenda other than that of the pilots and nothing could be further from the truth and and that's exactly what we've seen is that they've taken this time to to trot out a number of narratives to see if they resonate and that isn't going to work in this contract cycle it just isn't
0: no, not at all. In fact, it, it seems to just solidify the pilots even more. You know, and we see that through the polling data. It just it's getting more and more clear what that line is.
4: You put yourself in their shoes, and and wouldn't you like to have freedom to do whatever it is you want to do? And it's really just about control. It's about wanting to have the ability to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it. And they've they've enjoyed that uh, that freedom for almost a century and, uh, change is hard, but change is needed.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Joe. And, you know, I think if you look throughout the, the history of negotiation, not just in the airline industry, but elsewhere, when, when things get really difficult and contentious and and hard to move the process forward, that's often what's at stake is power and control and management. Not wanting to relinquish any of it, it's rarely a strictly economic matter when when these things get at loggerheads.
4: And it's not the desire of this pilot group nor this MEC to damage the company anyway or restrict their ability to grow. Uh, we would not forward proposals that would do that. They know that. The pilot group knows that.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. We we want and need a successful company.
2: And similarly, when we talk about things like scheduling flexibility that pilots seek, these are, again, proven strategies at other airlines that actually work. But to your point, David, they somewhat involve a relinquishment of that absolute control over pilots. But pilot behavior has been proven time and time again to satisfy those productivity needs, you know, while at the same time satisfying the pilot's needs, absolute needs, for some scheduling flexibility.
0: Right. These aren't mutually exclusive.
2: And the same point resonates when you talk about control so much when pilots are, are now seeking flexibility, scheduling flexibility, right? It, it really resonates when you start to talk about how scheduling works here at this airline and the frustrations that we hear time and time again about the reassignment process or the even the assignment process for reserves and the inability to trade or to, to find that same flexibility that other pilots have. It involves a slight relinquishment of control, absolute control over that process in deference to the faith that pilots are going to do what has been proven over and over again at other properties, which is you know, seek a, a productive flying schedule and the company will actually reap a benefit, but they lose that absolute control. And I think that that has a lot to do with the resistance that we've seen at
0: the table. Exactly. It's a, a reluctance or inability to think outside the box and, and to put a, some, a little bit of faith and trust in a new system. Right.
2: But this isn't even outside the box. The box, <laughs> the boxes are built at other
0: airlines. This right. is, yeah, this isn't tough. It's outside their box, but yeah, just look at, look at the box how well it's working over at these other carriers. Correct. Yes. You know, I'm talking about
3: company communications and some of the stuff that comes out yet again, another communication came out claiming victory for the uh, EIL process and not wanting to furlough and keep everybody on the property. I want to be very clear on that. That was an ALPA program. We were furloughing. They had a desire to do it. We were notified same day and it stopped. So I just, I want to correct that narrative yet again and make sure that it's out there for real, what actually happened.
0: Yeah, I think, Ronan, it is important to know and understand our history. And that history is being attempted to be rewritten
4: with not even a year out. And why is that important? That's important not because it matters who gets credit so much as it matters that, you know, th- there's always an assertion that we don't know what's best. We don't know what's best for our pilots and whatever it is we're trying to do for our pilots is gonna damage the company. And we clearly demonstrated that we we're able to find a solution that was good for our pilots and good for the company. And it's no different now. You know, we can find solutions to our problems that are not going to impede the company's ability to grow, not going to damage the company, but are also going to be good for the pilots. And a happy pilot group is going to contribute to a successful airline. That's why that matters. Because there's always this assertion that we don't care about the company's success. We're just, you know, we're pushing some agenda that, you know, is going to hurt the company. And it's just nonsense. It's just not true.
3: I'd actually tag onto that a little bit, Joe, and and add that Not only for that reason does it matter, but it also shows too, when there's a willingness to actually work together to solve the problem, what can be achieved? You know, and that was achieved in a very short period, less than a couple of weeks. And, um, that's, you know, that's, but that just came through desire and it was a cost savings for the company and it was a method to keep everybody on the property. And I know it's brought up fairly regularly. But the reason why it's being brought up very regularly is because it's been misrepresented as to how it actually was born or being claimed as a credit.
0: Yeah, Joe, I think what you said is really wise, and it, there's you can also discuss it in the uh, reciprocal, which is one of the things that I think is frustrating about what we hear from management about scope and the their assertion that we don't really need it because it's it's management telling us what's good for us as if we're not smart enough. And and if, as if the pilots themselves aren't smart enough to understand what matters and what's important to them. And it's, it's very paternalistic and it's, it's uh, it's frustrating to, to hear that.
4: That's right. You know, and if, if we were breaking really new ground here, or we were trying something that had never been done before. You know, you might have a bit of pause and, and, Say to yourself, well, maybe maybe it's not what's best for them. That's not the case here. This these these provisions exist across the industry, and pilots are very happy for them and appreciative of them. And the companies they work for continue to be successful. So it's it's not magic. It's been proven. It works.
0: Well, I think we've covered the bulk of the questions that have been coming in from pilots. So why don't you close us out again with your thoughts?
2: Yeah, thank you very much, David. Um, I think I would just start by saying that I'm very, very pleased in what we've seen here that the pilots have demonstrated unity in the initial stages of this campaign, you know, sharing our content, having conversations with neighbors and friends. And we can tell from, like we said, the, uh, the feedback that it's not only the campaign is working, but this pilot group does remain highly, highly focused on that same set of goals that they expressed back in the initial stages of polling. You know, um, shows that we've indeed heard you, that, you know, no tired company narrative has fractured your unity at all. And that's good. And of course, most importantly, we're still on target and remain focused on your direction and achieving your goals. Right. I do want to thank the pilots for taking time to participate in the polling, for coming out to outreach events and staying engaged in the work that this MEC is doing. In that spirit, the MEC is going to continue to be highly transparent with the pilot group. And as we've said earlier in the podcast, we're going to be available to you in outreach events, to hear, answer questions, and you know, to hear your frustrations and, and ensure that we remain focused on the most important goal, which is a contract that's in parity with the industry and recognizes the sacrifices that this pilot group made to navigate the pandemic. right? We said it just now that the company proved that when we approached them about avoiding furloughs and the EILs, that they can effectively problem solve. And as we've said, when did we reach a stalemate? The second that we turned to pilot priorities, and that's frustrating. So you know, now that we focused on your needs, they've pivoted back to, to Wall Street and to balance sheets as, as their focus. I guess in, in a final closing note, I will we'll just say that I know the holidays are upon us and we do need to remain focused on being kind to each other, to other work groups, and especially to our passengers. You know, Don't let your frustrations get in the way of being the consummate professional that you are. Uh, we have an opportunity to carry our message to a whole new group of holiday travelers who, like everyone, recognize that whatever you do for a living, being treated like your peers is not just fair, but in the case of this pilot group, it's overdue. So you know, I'd say, as I always do, remain engaged, talk to each other, talk to your reps and be professional, because that's what's got us through so much as a pilot group, and that's what's needed as we move into the uh, the next stages of the campaign in January.
0: Thanks, Will. And speaking of the holidays, we know that that is a time of increased stress in a lot of folks' lives. And I want to remind everyone that if you are dealing with anything, that there are ALPA resources here for you. So please call ALPA first and the pilot peer support program is the, the perfect place to do that. You've got trained volunteers that can help you deal with whatever's going on in your life or point you in the right direction to some other help. And that is a, a really effective way to do it. That number is 309-777-ALPA or 309 309-777- 777 and with that I'd like to thank all of you for joining me today and thank you especially for listening both our pilots and those other folks interested in what's going on with the Alaska pilots I'm your host strategic communications chairman captain David Campbell and you've been listening to the Alaska pilots podcast